Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the very times in which we are living today. And we're wondering, what do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, about showing up in liberation? What wisdom might there be for white Christians in these troubled, violent times of pandemics, rising authoritarianism, and racial capitalism? And what can threshold times, seasons of liminality, teach us about where to find meaning in the waiting of a new world? I'm Brigitte Vieira, and I use she, her pronouns, and I am a candidate for ordained ministry in the Unitarian Universalist faith tradition. And I also have the joy of being a faith organizing intern for showing up for racial justice or surge. And today, I live in a place currently called Phoenix, Arizona, in the traditional homelands of the Hohokam people, who stewarded this land in the Valley of the Sun for many generations. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith, and it is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. And we do this work believing that white Christians have a serious responsibility in committing ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting it wherever we may find it, including in the Christian tradition, because our very lives depend on it. And we also do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado from December 2014, led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. And we are so deeply grateful to the Freeney Hardy family for letting us use this psalm for this podcast. The word is resistance. It is good to be together, beloveds. And it's Easter. This past episode with Reverend Kelsey Beebe for Good Friday told the perspective of Holy Week from the women who were there with Jesus. And Reverend Beebe's hope was that these women's stories would open new doors for us to discern what it must have been like for the women who were there. And that got me thinking about opening new doors. Hmm. Got my imagination cooking. Because to go through a door, one must cross a threshold, a sliver of space-time. Threshold times are not very comfortable for me personally because they tend to be disruptive, intense, and full of paradoxical contradictions that leave me feeling so very dizzy and so very afraid. So, what do I do? Well, I usually try to cross through a threshold 
by getting to the other side as fast as possible. So to do this, I will pull my friends and my family for advice and look for shortcuts and answers to muddle my way through the murky in-between time in record time. Oftentimes, I find myself so focused on how to cross a threshold with integrity that I catch myself asking questions like, what do I need to leave behind? And what do I want to carry forward with me? As if I have total control of the circumstances around this liminal space. (laughs) So, Reverend Beebe's encouragement to consider what it must have been like for Mary Magdalene during Holy Week had me noticing and appreciating the ways in which she is in a threshold time, especially where she shows up in the story of Easter, for she is the first witness of the empty tomb and the first to share the news of resurrection. And it's in the Easter story where I can't help but notice the ways that Mary Magdalene embodies this line from an essay by Mary Oliver. Attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. During Holy Week and in the Easter story, Mary Magdalene is a woman of attentive presence, a woman who is unafraid to look away at pain and tragedy, a woman who bears witness to suffering trusting grief and despair as a practice of solidarity. And she is also a woman who waits, and waits, and waits, and waits. Mary waits in paradox, in liminality. So this Easter, I'm inviting you to explore how the Easter narrative is a story of holy waiting. And together, I'm hoping that we can uncover what resistance lessons Mary Magdalene has to teach us, the lessons that can be found when we suspend our sense of urgency to move through threshold times quickly, to get over to the other side as fast as we can, and instead wait and wait some more. That maybe waiting is a sacred practice of resistance, that can open us up to surprising possibilities of new beginnings. the Gospels agree on one detail about Easter morning, that when it was still dark, in the wee hours of the morning, it was women who went to Jesus' tomb. Now, the Gospels don't agree about how that early morning visit went, but women being attentively present and waiting is consistent. So today's text is going to focus on the Gospel of John, chapter 20, which is the most detailed narrative about women at Jesus' tomb. John 21 through 18 has two scenes, and I'm going to briefly summarize them here for us today. Okay, that first scene. 
The first thing tells us that Mary Magdalene is our first witness of the empty tomb. She sees the stone of the tomb where Jesus was buried, has been rolled away, and reports this news to two disciples. She tells them that Jesus' body must have been removed. The empty tomb makes no sense otherwise. Maybe it was grave robbers. The two disciples run to the tomb with her and can't make sense of it either. And now the second scene. The second scene shows Mary alone at the tomb. She is weeping and looks into the tomb. And then she is greeted by two angels who ask why she is weeping. She speaks to them out of grief, saying, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary then turns around and sees this man, a man she assumes to be a gardener. It is Jesus, and he speaks to her, asking, Who are you looking for? She begs the gardener for help in finding the missing body, that if only she can locate Jesus' body, then she can make it all right. The risen Jesus calls Mary by name, and this time she sees the gardener as her beloved teacher. The gardener is Jesus, resurrected. Jesus tells Mary to not hold on to him, for he has not yet ascended, but to go forth and spread the news of his resurrection and ascension into new life, which is available to all. So Mary goes to the disciples and tells them, I have seen the Lord. Now, when I reflect on Mary Magdalene, I notice just how much waiting she does in this time of profound trauma and grief of Holy Week. Before Jesus' body is buried, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Mary Magdalene waits for the Sabbath to be over before she goes to the tomb with burial spices to anoint Jesus' body as a Jewish burial rite. These are hard and holy moments. And Mary Magdalene does not look away, for attention is the beginning of devotion. Mary provides this loving, tender attention to Jesus' traumatized body by refusing to look away. As an act of resistance to staying numb or complicit, Mary attentively waits, staying present and open to bearing witness to the pain and suffering inflicted on her teacher's body. And then she goes back to the tomb to honor her grief in its threshold time of transition, a time when one world as she knew it ended and the other she now found herself in was searing with pain and uncertainty. But again, Mary does not look away. In fact, she decides to look closer, and in this attentive waiting of both time and energy, Mary notices something amiss. And after the other two disciples cannot make sense of what has happened, they leave. They look away. But Mary, not Mary, Mary stays and weeps. She weeps and she waits. Weeps and waits never daring to look away. Empire wanted Mary Magdalene to look away, in the same way that Empire still tries to erase the names and the memories of any and all bodies that it views as a threatening, quote, other. 
An empire is always tempting us to look away, to go in another direction, and avoid facing hard, painful truths. And sometimes empire does this by distracting us and inviting us to stay numb to the pains that it actively inflicts upon bodies of the holy body selves of ourselves, our neighbors, and the holy planetary body of Earth. And as a white person, I have kept that uncertainty and existential angst, the very things Mary Magdalene stayed in the waiting with, at an arm's length. And in doing so, I only blunt my own humanity and the humanity of others. So Mary Magdalene's weeping and waiting got me wondering, what is it that gets in the way of me looking, waiting, staying, and paying attention, of being in the threshold time of things dying and being reborn, of not trying to emotionally leapfrog and rationalize my way through it, what is it that keeps me from waiting? Ah, there it is. That's where I get caught. It's in the waiting. Ah, in our society, there is this relationship between status and waiting. The more important a person is in our society, the higher status they have, the less they wait. And the more important and higher status they are, the more others wait on them. That's where my discomfort is. My discomfort is in the waiting. Because waiting reminds me that I am not in charge and I am not in control. But liminal space threshold time is an experience that demands attentive waiting. The kind of waiting that both my whiteness and my middle classness go to great lengths to avoid as a symptom of internalized imperial logic. And unfortunately, beloveds, I find that this allergy to waiting, it's also something I too often find in white Christian spaces, especially progressive, forward-leaning ones. I've noticed that I am rarely asked to wait in the uncertainty and existential angst that Mary Magdalene bears witness to, because hope is right around the corner. Can't I just see it? And as a consequence of this do-gooder optimistic hope, the kind that won't wait and doesn't wait, it has all too often become an excuse to not really look at the reality of injustice all around me. You see, too often this story of Easter has hummed an oppressive tone by presenting Jesus' resurrection as an upward-leaning, fundamentally, quote, hopeful salvation story. And this hum of unremitting generational progress, it sounds pretty familiar. And I think that's because it is also an all-too-often white person's narrative of how history unfolds, a tactic of empire to get us to look away, a tactic of racial capitalism that tells us to dream upward and blame downward. And don't ever wait, because time is money. So I'm wondering, what alternative world-building can be done? 
What world of possibilities await us when we are humble enough and willing to wait? Scholar and activist Reverend Dr. Miguel De La Torre helped me better understand what it means to wait, and how my own discomfort with waiting is related to a white person's understanding of what it means to also have hope. In English, the meaning of the word hope implies this brief pause in anticipation of something good that is just about to be revealed. Hope. As an upward motion of progress, told triumphantly, is also an oppressor's narrative, in that it erases any evidence of state violence, of fear and betrayal, the violence that is inflicted on those who have been dehumanized, to maintain a story or narrative of quote triumphance. And Reverend Dr. De La Torre humbly reminds me that in Spanish, the translation for the word hope. Is esperar, a word that asks us to wait, to wait in apprehension of either good or evil. Hope and the experience of waiting varies by our social positions and specific local context. So let's unpack this a bit. The story that I've been told about Easter. Has been one that manufactures a future-oriented hopefulness that reflects white Eurocentric middle-class Christianity, a flavor of Christianity that avoids the discomfort of liminal space, the kind of threshold that would invite me into weeping, and waiting, into the very postures that Mary Magdalene took, of bearing witness, of not looking away, to the suffering and pain of others. The story of Easter as an expression of triumphant faith lets me live the good news, but it really doesn't make space or asks me to join fully. It embodied solidarity with those who the very oppressive structure of empire makes wait, who cannot skip ahead during Holy Week. In the words of Reverend Dr. De La Torre. The oppressed of the world occupy the space of Holy Saturday, the day after Friday's crucifixion, and the not yet Easter Sunday of resurrection. The not yet Easter Sunday of resurrection. This is where we find Mary Magdalene waiting and weeping, and I think it's here, in this practice. Where I can be held accountable to having a more honest, a more humble practice of resistance. We see this not yet Easter Sunday of resurrection in Mary's weeping and waiting, and that is what is required when we stay in that liminal threshold space of tragedy, tribulation, and triumphance—a space so deeply uncomfortable. That it is easier to look away, or to tell another story altogether. 
but Mary Magdalene refuses to look away. And in her waiting, she bears witness. She resists being distanced and resists being desensitized to the unavoidable presence of tragedy, of pain, and of suffering. She pays attention. Attention is the beginning of devotion. A devotion that does not find comfort in any shallow, superficial hope of Empire's version of Eastertide. For it is in the esperar, in that kind of waiting and hope, where Mary Magdalene stays present to accompanying others, to bearing witness to the hardest places, both inside ourselves and outside of ourselves, found in the very ruins of building a new world. Mary Magdalene refuses to look away, even when it provokes anxiety, fear, confusion, doubt, and grief. She weeps and she waits, and she pays attention as the beginning of devotion. And in doing so, she interrogates suffering and lament and refuses to skip ahead to any good news. And this is the kind of waiting waiting with another's pain and waiting with the pain inside ourselves that helps us tell the truth. The kind of truth where the prophetic voices of those on the margins, on the edges of society, the ones empire desperately tries to silence and erase, can be heard. The kind of truth that we need to collectively imagine something more powerful than we normally would assume. The kind of imagination that can resurrect and build a new world. So, beloveds, this Easter, may we go forth in just love, being open to the wisdom of Mary Magdalene. May we stay humble to the experience of waiting, the kind of sacred pause that is necessary to bearing witness to what we need to see and what we need to hear in order to proclaim truth for a more honest, more muscular hope. And in these liminal spaces of our movement work, may we stay. May we refuse to look away. May we wait and may we weep. For there is no forgetting what threshold times demand of us only living it and letting it live in us. Blessed be and amen. week's call to action is to put yourself in a position where you can do a Mary Magdalene practice. Adopt a posture of attentive, loving presence that is willing to wait and to weep as a way of bearing witness to the pain in our world. The kind of waiting that does not jump to solutions or conclusions or quick fixes, but instead invites you to experiencing the range of emotions that we 
will encounter in our movement work. Sadness, regret, fear, confusion, compassion, and also grief. And notice how increasing your tolerance for discomfort, for waiting and weeping, is one way we can rehumanize ourselves and one another in our work of building a new world. So thank you. Thank you for joining us for this Easter episode. We would love to hear from all of you, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks. And you can do this by filling out the listener survey on our podcast page at surge.org. You can also give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our podcast. And of course, you can find out more about Surge at surge.org. Our podcast lives on SoundCloud. All you need to do is search the word is resistance. And transcripts, those are available too. And they're on our website. And they also include references, resources, and action links. And don't worry, because we will be back soon with a resistance word from Dr. Sharon Fenema. And of course, a shout out of big thanks to our sound editor, Claire Hitchens. So blessings to you in all that you do, staying open to testimonies that invite you into the fullness of what it means to be in solidarity in these in-between times. Go forth in love, go forth in liberation, and be well, beloveds.